from the Lake Erie shores of Northeast Ohio. Hello, Cleveland! Rock and roll capital of the world and birthplace of the comic book superhero. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. This is the Panel Scanners Podcast since 2012. Welcome to the Panel Scanner's celebration of the Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary. Man, 40 years. Older than me. Uh, anyhow, regardless... Not older than with, us. Yeah, whatever, Darren. <laughs> with me, as always, is Darren. Say hey, Darren. Hey. All right, and joining us for a second episode is Matt. How are you, Matt? Doing well, thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. So, Darren, I believe you are going to throw us right into this with some deleted scenes, abandoned storylines, early versions, ridiculous things we didn't know about about the Empire. Yeah, you know, the Empire Strikes Back is, I think, widely regarded as the best of the Star Wars films. Um, it's one of the few times I think I'm comfortable in dealing with best. We, generally, we try not to do that on a podcast um, for our own reasons. But... Also, you know, the Star Wars saga in itself has become, you know, ubiquitous at this point to pop culture that, you know, every aspect, every, you know, everything about Star Wars has been overmined at this point. Um, so we're so we're it's so ingrained in our, our psyche that even the littlest variation of some story detail or some character or origin is sort of jarring to some degree. And, um, you know, I really I think for as long as I can remember, I've always enjoyed reading about um, the production the uh, genesis of the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy specifically, about how it all started, you know, what we could have had. And I recall, uh, you know, early on in the podcast, before Dark Horse lost the Star Wars license, actually, it might have been one of the final releases Dark Horse had on the slate was when they published that six-issue uh, comic book, The Star Wars, which was adapted from the original star wars screenplay phil do you remember this at all i do man that that came out during us doing the podcast right? yeah it did i think it might have been one of the final things dark horse because remember dark horse came out with star wars a comic and it was it was the first time they had gone back to Mm -hmm. the original trilogy era they had been they spent nearly 20 years uh, in the same time period as the prequels and then they finally went back and then they you know mar disney buys Mar- or Star Wars, and then it ends up going back to Marvel. Um, and, but uh, they did, they found, they got permission to adapt the original Star Wars screenplay to a six-issue comic. And, it, you know, so there was no Darth Vader. I remember was, that wrapping up right when the... Because you, you grabbed it, and you were, like, apprehensive about picking up the new Marvel one, because you were like, this was so interesting and so different. Yeah, and it, it's like, so it was Luke Starkiller, and he was the... He was an old general... And there was Prince Valorum, who, instead of Darth Vader, and then there was uh, Han Solo was a green humanoid alien. And it was everything that Star Wars would have become had not, you know, it it been, you know, redrafted multiple times. And it was it was really, really interesting and really strange. And uh, I highly recommend it. 
So it's those sorts of things that I, I get interested in. And The Empire Strikes Back is, is no different, of course. You know, The Empire Strikes Back is the most pivotal, pivotal, pivotal of all the Star Wars movies. And I think when you talk about it, a few tweaks here and there, maybe we're not talking about Star Wars today. Maybe that thing just sort of drifts off into the ether like so many others. You know, maybe if Darth Vader doesn't reveal that he's Luke Skywalker's father, maybe... Maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe that never happens. Maybe the Star Wars just kind of fades away. And, and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember those movies. Like, movies, you know, maybe like Crawl or um, some of the, of the dozens and duds of Ice Pirates or something. The uh, dozens and dozens of 80s fantasy movies that may have, uh, you know, a small cult-like following but haven't become almost synonymous with pop culture. When you say pop culture... One of the first things most people think of is probably Star Wars. So I have a few things that I'm going to present to you guys. Um, before I do, what is it? Do you guys have anything that you know that maybe wasn't supposed to happen? Things that are have already become part of the mythology. Different dialogue, different uh, scenes that you know are out there. Uh, are, you, are you guys familiar with anything already before I dive into the get really in depth with this? Matt, what do you got? Well, I was going to say I, this is going to kind of encroach on my list a little bit, but there was that. I know there's that line that Lawrence Kasdan famously absolutely hated that um, Harrison Ford delivers that it was never in the script and that he didn't want to be kept in the movie overall. But that's going to get into my list. I'll talk about that when we get to it. But yeah, other than that. I wasn't familiar with any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, necessarily. All right, well, we're going to get into that. And uh, go ahead and let me uh, – I'll get through these, and then I will, uh, I'll ask sure. for you guys to respond to this. And i got a pretty, I got a pretty comprehensive list here, though it doesn't cover everything, I sure, I'm sure. Now, it originally was called Star Wars Chapter 2, um, and I think that was basically the production name for it. And George Lucas was in the middle of forming what was to become Industrial Light and Magic, and these duties prevented him from directing the Star Wars sequel. Among the reasons that Lucas had to step away from directing is because many of the artists that worked on Star Wars left to form their own company. The company, uh, I think it was called Apogee or something like that, are the ones who produced the original Battlestar Galactica TV series. Now, if you go and look at the production uh, stills from Battlestar Galactica, it really does look and feel like Star Wars. Um... Even if you look at the, and I looked this up, I forgot to look this up until like, you know, I was actually looking up right before we, we sat down to record here. Um, the Colonial Viper and the Cylon Raider, if you look at them juxtaposed to the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter, it's really not a whole lot of difference. I mean, if you see these two flying, you, you look quickly, you might see the X-Wing and the, and the TIE Fighter. Um, I mean, so much so that famed... Uh, Star Wars production artist Ralph McQuarrie dubbed Battlestar Galactica a total ripoff. All right, some other things. Yoda. <laughs> this is so weird. Yoda was originally named Buffy. Um, and then Bundan Tabanan. In later drafts of the script, Yoda would have a first name Minch. So his name was Minch Yoda. Um, that's Minch. He was Buffy. He was Bundan to Bannon and then Minch Yoda. 
Um, this is why we have multiple drafts of movie scripts, I guess. Yeah. Um, now, the Wampas were to have a much larger role. Most have probably seen the deleted scenes where C-3PO diverts pursuing stormtroopers into a Wampa holding cell that's within the Rebel base. But further, the Wampas were to attack the Rebel base on Hoth with Luke attempting and falling and failing to stop them using the Force. So, if you haven't seen some of the Empire Strikes Back deleted scenes, it's when the the Imperials are headed towards the Rebel base. They're getting close. Now they've infiltrated the Rebel base, and they're all trying to evacuate. And there's a scene in there, it's still in the movie, where C-3PO runs past a door, and on that door there's a like a yellow warning sign. Well, in that room are Wampas. And... It, it, it seems that the the, the Wampas were attacking the base, so the Rebels had to capture them and put them in this holding cell. So what C-3PO does is he's running by. He rips that. Uh, he wisely rips the uh, the warning sign off of there, so the Imperial Stormtroopers end up going in there and getting you know attacked by the Wampas. That was in the final cut of the movie. Um, but famously, the Wampa costumes just didn't work very well, so they had to really show like in the original cut of the movie. Um, the Womp is almost not seen at all. It's like so brief. Now they let, for the special edition, they give you a little bit more of it. Um, but not only that, you are actually going to see Wampas attacking the Rebel base. And in one of the drafts of the script, um, Luke is attempting to use the Force to stop the Wampas, and he fails to do this. And Han Solo was going to remark, you're not a Jedi and never will be. Um, so, you know, Hans was going to be kind of a jerk about it, you know, it, it, which, I mean, seems slightly out of character after that, after everything he had gone through, because he was, you know, in the first movie, he was very, he's, he's kind of annoyed by Luke, and then he realizes, like, no, there is something special about this guy. I'm not going to admit it like a big brother, but there is. Um, now it should be noted that a lot of my information, I, I went to the force.net, Wikipedia, J.W. Rinsler did a, a comprehensive making the Empire Strikes Back book that I found, and a lot of my information... Honestly, though, a lot of this stuff, I've read about it so often over the years, I just did it from memory. Um, now, Luke, Vader senses, after Luke tries to stop the Wampas from entering the Rebel base using the Force, Vader, because Luke tried to use the Force, senses Luke. Now, you can actually kind of think about this for a second, because Luke does get captured by the Wampa, and Luke does use the Force to grab his lightsaber, and then... Shortly after that, you know, you go to the Empire Strikes Back, you go to the, on the Star Destroyers, and they're looking at systems, and one guy points out Hoth, and Vader goes, that's it, that's the system. So you can almost maybe draw the conclusion that because Luke still, like that story element remained, that Luke tried to use the Force to get his lightsaber, and Vader was able to figure it out. Um, so maybe that element didn't change. Now, Vader senses Luke used the Force, or at least his attempt, and this leads him to the Rebel base. Meanwhile, instead of Obi-Wan Kenobi appearing to Luke... After his encounter with the Wampa, instructing him to seek out Yoda, an early draft has Luke discover something in his lightsaber that provides coordinates to find Minch. I mean Buffy. I mean Yoda. Um, Vader arrives as Luke is leaving and force chokes Luke while he's in the cockpit of his X-Wing. Luke is only saved when... Who saves everyone in the, R2, in the uh, Star Wars universe? Just hit my hat there. Phil, you know this answer. Did we lose? Are you talking about Han Solo? No, R two D two saves everyone, always and ever. Uh, it's both. 
Um, <laughs> R2-D2, Luke is only saved when R2-D2 hits the jump to light speed. Um, other things, Lando, originally a clone warrior, one of a variety of factions left over from the Clone Wars. Now, early su- early drafts also suggest Vader's castle. The castle appears in Star Wars Rogue One, and to me is the highlight of that film. Um, the description of the castle is very similar to what we got in Rogue One, though Vader was actually going to have gargoyle-like creatures as his pets wandering around uh, the the castle in which he was going to reside. So now I'll bet even star casual Star Wars fans are aware that Vader's reveal at the end was shot multiple times with many different dialogue substitutions. Most famous among them was when Luke questions Vader. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert here. Maybe I should have said that a long time ago. Um, somewhat sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, a little bit sarcastic. If you haven't figured it out by now, then you deserve to have it spoiled. Um, but anyway, most famous among these dialogue substitutions to keep anything from leaking was Vader reveals that it was Obi-Wan that killed your father. However, in the earliest drafts of the script, Luke was going to meet his father. He would confirm that he sent Luke and his sister away for their safety. He would reveal that his sister, at this point not Leia, would have been training as a Jedi all along. Luke... His father, Minch Yoda, and his sister would later raise their lightsabers together and recite a Jedi oath about truth, honesty, and deciding to vanquish all evil. The Jedi have once again been reborn. Really, 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 really silly stuff. Um, Now, prior to any notion that Luke and Leia were siblings, Vader was to use Luke's affection for Leia in an attempt to lure Luke to the dark side, claiming that Luke was not strong enough to hold Leia. His weakness and lack of courage will cause him to lose her to Han Solo. Um, Han Solo was not frozen in carbonite. He ends up going off to find his stepfather, who coincidentally is the leader of a large cargo guild or transport uh, faction or something. Han was to disappear for a time and try to lure his stepfather to the rebellion, and then Han would would return with the cavalry. Um, Now, the reason... Do you guys know this? Why the story elements and the writers decided to freeze Han Solo and and Carbonite uh, during the climax of the film? Do you guys know why this was done? Why Carbonite was the choice? Why Han Solo was frozen. Carbonite doesn't really matter. Why they chose to suspend Han Solo, not make a decision on his fate. Do you guys know why this occurred? I, I, I always assumed it was because they didn't want Han Solo to escape. Okay. Matt, what do you think? Well, I thought they were just experimenting on Han's because the intention was always to freeze Luke. Um, okay, so I was actually thinking from a production standpoint, but you're right, yeah. In, oh, in, in the storyline, you know, they didn't want Luke to die because he was too valuable, so they, you know, yeah, you're right about that. Well, okay, so yeah. the real reason from a production standpoint is far more practical. Harrison Ford didn't have a contract for the third movie. Um, and, you know, I guess either negotiations hadn't took place or they were breaking down as the movie was being shot. I think Harrison Ford wasn't sure he wanted to come back and they weren't sure if it was going to get worked out. So the carbon freezing scene was added to the Empire Strikes Back script to give multiple narrative avenues for the Han Solo character. If Harrison Ford turned out he wasn't going to return, that would have been revealed early in Return of the Jedi that Han did not survive the freezing process. Can you imagine that? Like you could have sat in Return of the Jedi and Han Solo might not have appeared on screen again and you would just have gotten an off-screen 
explanation for his death. Um, and that's also why the Lando Calrissian character who was supposed to die at the end of the film was kept around because they needed someone to fill the scoundrel role. And you could see Lando just sliding right into that. Um, you know, so I, I thought that, that was interesting. Cool. Now, at the time, uh, the $35 million budget was the most expensive film in history. And this ends up being, you know, it's funny to go back and look at it. I, I was a big at the movies fan, uh, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. And I watched that and, you know, a lot of critics back at the time, not so great on The Empire Strikes Back. And it's weird to think that now, but going back and looking at some of the criticisms, um, it's not really hard to see why. We, of course, now kind of come to consider it the best chapter in the entire saga. Um, Empire represents the, one of the few times I feel comfortable labeling it as such. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. However, tonally juxtaposed against the feel-good swashbuckling nature of star wars a new hope you can kind of see why audiences were put off by the dire outcome it was you know the bad guys win you i mean you know american movies are, are very well known for you know happy endings and everything's wrapped up at the end and the empire strikes back you know it's all it's full of holes like luke is you know in big trouble he's he's got he just got his butt kicked. He's lost a hand. He's lost his lightsaber. Han, no one knows what's going on with Han Solo. Is he dead? Is he alive? Are we going to see him again? Um, everything's up in air. So it, you can kind of see why audiences might have, and, and critics were put off at, uh, by it at the time. All right. So what do you guys think? What do, what do you have on this? Um, what are your thoughts on some of these strange deviations from what we now know as mythology? I mean, it's so it's so hard to look at something that is so ingrained in your brain um as something else like i couldn't imagine sitting here in 2020 talking about empire strikes back when buffy trained luke to be <laughs> knight um i i don't know like i could see i could see the whole thing about luke's sister being someone else because of all the smooches that happened prior <laughs> yeah um, and I, I felt like that could have been something that was kind of a change that was put in to make it. I I I don't know, but there were just so many. It, it's hard to wrap my head around it because when something exists for so long, it, it's jarring to hear what it could have been indifferently. Like I I would have liked to see more of the Wampas. I think the Wampa would have been a very very cool addition yeah. to what we already have. Not so much the special edition edition, not that that's necessarily bad. I mean, some of the special edition editions later on were terrible. Um, but I, I don't know, segmenting all those things, it's just, it's hard to wrap your head around something that doesn't exist when there's something that it's, for me personally, has always existed. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Matt? So, yeah. No, I was kind of building it on. I think it'd be interesting to see C three PO. We kind of getting back with the Wampas in the room and whatnot. Actually, be a different character uh, in terms of uh, not just always being the person who seems to get in trouble. And I don't know. <coughs> excuse me. Um, he, not a major, major fan of that particular character. And I know that's probably sacrilegious to a certain. Oh, extent. Oh, I'm not either. By the way, it'd be, it would have been nice to see him actually have a moment of decisive. I don't know, just a good decision that actually helps a, a positive outcome. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that we didn't get uh, Buffy the Sith Slayer. I think that would have been really, really difficult. What was the other one? Minx? Minch? Minch. 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 Uh, that was a 
Benden to Bannon, Buffy or Minch Yoda? <clears throat> Although Benden to Bannon does sound like a, a George Lucas made up name. I'm surprised we didn't get that recycled somewhere else. Well, Buffy might have messed us up a little bit too because now we have the Vampire Slayer. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Buffy the little green well, alien. If, if Buffy, Buffy probably isn't named Buffy if we end up getting <laughs> Buffy instead and, of Yoda. Mention it's Yoda the Vampire Slayer. We get Jane the Vampire Slayer or some stupid stuff like that. I don't know. Um, no, Matt, you were going to allude to, I think, what is probably the most famous line in The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, well, maybe not. That's not there's a bunch of them, but Han Solo's um, confession, so to speak. Yep. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. I mean, that was. Yeah, wasn't yeah. it? I, I know I looked it up, and it wasn't. It, he was supposed to say, "Don't worry, I'll be back." The Empire can't hold back my love, or something like that. And then mm-hmm. I think Han, I mean, that was what George Lucas wanted. And Han Solo went up to, uh, I think it was Irving Kirshner, who was the director. He's like, "I'm not saying this." <laughs> <laughs> Why? What we end up getting is one of the most legendary. <laughs> Uh, character scenes ever, especially in the Star Wars sure. universe. I think in, in that moment, like Han Solo, if he hadn't been already, he cemented his uh, legacy as the coolest Star Wars character of all time. Yeah. Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and jump into the next part where we talk about our five favorite Empire Strikes Back moments, and I'll jump in with my uh, five through three, which uh, man, just as soon as I thought about this movie, like I started struggling immensely to pick five because one, it's not a short movie by any no. sort of imagination. Two, I'm incredibly lucky and I've just rewatched it within the last couple months. And I, um, uh, I struggled with it. So these are my current five. I'm not saying these are the only five, but these are the five that popped out to me. So five through three. First, when those tow cables popped out and they tripped up the ADATs, the AT-ATs, what a beautiful scene. That is my number five. My number four, talking about the Wampa, Luke versus the Wampa. The first time we really see him grab his lightsaber using the Force, that is that is a moment, right? You're like, there's magic in space, and that's so cool. Uh, my number three is the asteroid field, when they fly into the asteroid, and it's giant i'm sure this thing has the name the giant worm uh and they have like the whole ecosystem within the worm's gut and they realize it's alive and fly out just I a know very the name good- of that thing i used to i don't remember it there um, is on that star wars kids my my son cj loves watching it so much it's called the exogarth oh look at you because they talk about all the monsters and they name them and cj can literally recite that whole video that is incredible. Uh, so yeah, that's my five through three. I'll spend some more time on that two and one. How about you, Darren? All right, so I have an honorable mention. Han slicing oh, over the, open the tantan and the clear translucent hot dogs spill out of it and he shoves Luke inside of it to keep him warm. Um, it's pretty gruesome for a Star Wars movie back then, man. I'm telling you. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, that's all I really have is in terms of... Um, honorable mentions my number five is the dynamic between han and leia and the moment i'm choosing you know most would select the i know after leia says i love you and han says i know we just alluded to that uh, a couple of minutes ago but the moment i'm actually going to select is when they're inside the exogarth 
And Han decides to get out of there, and Leia says, we can't because the Empire's still out there. And he says, I don't have time to discuss this with a committee. Um, and she yells, I'm not a committee! <laughs> that, to me, is, that's that's just a really, really funny line. <laughs> um, uh, and my number four is Han is at his best. And the moment I'm choosing is the asteroid field, never tell me the odds. Um, and my number three is Vader is at his best. And the moment I am choosing is you have failed me for the last time, Admiral Ozzel. Matt? Yeah, so I do have uh, an honorable mention, and this one's kind of a cheap one. It's just all the quotes. It's every single thing. There are so many lines from this movie that are absolutely ubiquitous. And again, when we talk about being 40 years on from, from when this movie was released, the fact that some of these things are still recognizable today, and it really doesn't matter what generation we're talking about, whether we're talking about what would be our grandparents, our parents, or ourselves, or even younger generations, I still feel like they, they can carry on a little bit. Um, I'm going to say that just kind of as an honorable mention, all of the quotes. Um, for number five, I was going to say, oh, the introduction of Yoda. Now it's going to be like, really cool. Yeah, but they also introduced Lando Calrissian. And they also introduced Boba Fett. And to me, it was like all of those introductions being in one singular film really kind of counted. So I, I'm cheating a little bit here by including all of those into to one group. But I just really thought the introduction of those three players was really, really important um, for the tone of the film. And, and I really enjoyed every single one of them. Um, to kind of build on the back of what Phil stated, the Battle of Hoth um, was probably... One of my favorites, um, specifically as you were talking about the the cables being wrapped around the Adat's legs, I just that's one of the images that is immediately coming back to my mind. Um, that and, and the Tantan being torn open, um, and and watching it uh, recently this week again, I, I watched it a couple weeks back and, and only able to make it about an hour through. Uh, but I watched it in its entirety in the last couple of days. The one speech that really resonated with me, and this is my number three, was Yoda's speech when uh, Luke is attempting to get the X-Wing out of the swamp. There was something about um, that Luke is saying, he's like, as he's talking about lifting the X-Wing, he says, um, you know, I can't do it, it's too heavy, and says, um, in, and after Yoda lifts it, Luke says, I don't believe it, and Yoda really quickly turns to him, he's like, and that's why, you're, that's why you fail. And it just, to me, that particular line, it just really cemented the characters, the roles they were playing, and I, I really enjoyed that a lot. That's my five, four, and three. All right. So I guess I'll jump into my number two. My number two is one of the most misquoted moments from the film, which is during the Vader showdown, the, the big Vader showdown during it. Uh, uh, you told my father, no, I am your father. I remember as a child yelling into my fan, Luke, I am your father. Uh, <laughs> it kind of that reverberation, and the quote's wrong, right? Like, yeah. it's such a, a misquoted thing. Um, but that moment, like, when you, when you talk Empire Strikes Back, and you talk about where everything goes and why Vader is such a good villain and why we why we enjoyed it so much. Like that is the moment that comes to my mind of Luke fighting his father on this narrow thing. And then having the most ridiculous looking fall that he somehow just magically falls into something. I guess it's the fourth, whatever. Um, but like that, that moment, that fight and that, that discussion and the terrible acting of Mark Hamill. And it just, it, there's just something Whoa. about it. 
he's right. I think you got to watch it. I mean, I'm not. I, listen, I'll defend it, but at the same time, you're talking about that guy at this point's on the Mount Rushmore of this pop culture. You just got to be careful when you, oh, when no, you walk down no. those avenues, buddy. I, I that love was the man. Phil, not Darren, who said that. Uh, I, that was Darren. Um, wrong. I, I, I love it. I love Mark Hamill, but boy, that scene, oof. But regardless, it, it's still, it's still, it's still monumental. It's still very important, and it still obviously means a lot to me, or wouldn't be in one of my favorite moments, regardless of the acting. I'm not saying it was Man. terrible, but like, dude, you taking pot what? shots at Mark Hamill. <laughs> it's not; they're not pot shots. I don't think. I don't think there's an argument that that is the best acted scene in any film. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't. And that's that. I think that's my point that you're missing. That's the sound uh-huh. of Phil backing up his comments. No, it's not. And, and I'm, not, I'm not going to back up what I said because I stand by the fact that I don't think it is the best acted thing. But I think that speaks to the levels of what that scene meant for the film and the franchise. Um, regardless of how it was presented, it was so good. It's no Toshi Station. Let's put it that way. There's um, a reason it's been quoted, Darren. Yeah. All right. So All my right, number anyway. two um, is uh, Yoda. It's the whole training sequence, which is beautifully mm-hmm. acted by Mark Hamill the entire mm-hmm. way through. Um, mm-hmm. It's just everything that Yoda says affixes one story thread and loosens another. The moment I am choosing for this is raising Luke's X-Wing, as uh, Matt alluded to just a few minutes ago. Because everything about that, the music that's behind it, which they recycled when Luke did it in uh, Rise of Skywalker, they played the same music for him lifting lifting his own X-Wing. I always thought it would be really funny if he drops it, like, oh, dang. (laughs) It's like, I'm not as good as Yoda. But, uh, um... But, like, just the way he he talks to uh, Luke about the Force, and, like, even things like when... Luke is still like not sure of it. He doesn't believe anything Yoda's saying. He's like underestimating Yoda because you know, judge me by my size, do you? And then uh, he goes in the cave. He goes, "What's in there?" And he goes, "Only what you take with you." And so Luke and he says, "You won't need your weapons." But Luke takes them anyway. So he takes violence into the cave and he begets violence. Um, and you know, it's just everything he says is so important. It's the most pivotal scene in any of the Star Wars movies, and that includes, like, the reveal of Vader being Luke's father. Like, because this happens, obviously, before that. And, of course, you you get an allusion to it. And, you know, I think most of the fans thought, like, oh, when he cuts off Vader's head and sees his own reflection, he sees a path that he could Mm -hmm. go down whether or not Vader turns out to be his father. Um, It's just, it's such a great scene. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the guy who performs Miss Piggy with a hand up a puppet's rear end performing this scene. Think about that for a minute. I mean, in reading the stuff about our previous segment, all the differences, there was a scene where Frank Oz went off book just to you know, kind of bust up Mark Hamill where he started performing Yoda as Miss Piggy. <laughs> and Mark Hamill couldn't. He was, he was laughing his butt off the whole time. Um, but it's... Uh, it's so great, and the, the the dialogue is fantastic. You know, it's funny. The dialogue in that movie is everything that the dialogue that Yoda has in any of the prequels isn't. Um, so that's my number two, Matt. 
Uh, actually, I'm going to kind of piggyback on what Phil said. I really enjoyed the battle between Luke and Vader. That was going to be my number two. Um, where I had a little bit of difficulty with it and where I think the poor acting came into play, and, and again, I, you know, I'm not... I, I'm actually... Fill out here. I hope hope I'm not helping him dig his grave. But um, the the whole thing with that is, you know, it's difficult to swallow as Luke appears to be starting to lose the battle a little bit, and Darth Vader is is throwing items at him with the Force. Um, the wayward swinging of the lightsaber seemed a little bit uh, overwrought, so I was a little bit tired of that. Um, but the whole scene itself, I just thought was really really interesting, and I thought it was a beautiful scene, and I thought it actually carried with it a little bit more strength. And it got a little bit more violent than I remember it. Um, the one thing about it, though, that I had a hard time with in, in that I don't think, say hard time because it didn't have the impact on me that I think it had on, on maybe people who are a little bit older than myself. I think about my brother's perspective, uh, him being about six years older than me, um, was my introduction to Star Wars was not The Empire Strikes Back. I was not even two when that movie came out. Well, my introduction was Return of the Jedi, and a lot of these things had already been established, so I already knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father. So going back and having rewatched that, that, that particular line doesn't carry as much with it, but that scene is still a beautiful, beautiful scene, and it's really, you know, really, really well done. Um, and there's some parts of it that really had me, you know, I was trying to do something else while I was watching it, and I realized I hadn't done anything that I was trying to do for, like, maybe five minutes or so, because I just was really watching a scene of a movie that I'd seen. I don't know how many, but that's how much I really enjoyed that scene. So that's my number two is the battle between Luke and Darth Vader. I love that it's scene, awesome. and I think it's the best lightsaber duel in the entire series. Certainly not the most technically proficient, uh, certainly not the, mo the best choreographed, but the emotion behind it. There's a sense of dread the second Luke walks in that carbon freeze chamber. And I think the audiences know he's going to get beat. And I do like, I, I like what you're saying about how he gets a little bit uh, cheesy with some of it, like when he's getting beat up. It's like watching a Ric Flair wrestling match. Oh god! Oh my god! You know, yeah. I was waiting for him yeah. to like fly over the railing or something like that. But um, I, 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 you know, you, I guess you could take that both ways because that. I mean, Vader's at that point toying with him, and there's a moment in that fight where it's so well done by both Mark Hamill, great actor by the way. Case, you know, <laughs> um, wonderful actor. You don't listen, Darren. You, uh, you but, can put the brown off your nose. But, I, but I'm interested. Hey, man, I'm not the one who's taking pot shot at, at the acting legend, true thespian, <laughs> Mark Hamill. Um, listen to this, man. Don't, I hope he doesn't channel the Joker coming after you, pal. Um, but <laughs> anyway, there's a moment in there where it's uh, after... I, I, you know, I forget, I kind of forget the sequence, but they're they're heading towards um, the the railing where Luke is backing up, where Vader pops out of nowhere, and the, his body language for David Prowse is, "I'm done toying with you. I'm swinging, and you better get out." I mean, he's like he's going for the death blow, and, and mm -hmm. uh, he's very kinetic in that moment, and I just like they the way they shot it. Vader looks massive on the screen in that moment. And it's right before he backs him up onto that railing and cuts his hand off. Well, there's no arguing that it is a very good scene. However... Yeah, it is. It is it's terrific. It is not my number one. My number one, which you both already talked about, is the Yoda training scene as a whole collective. Uh, the whole time on Dagobah. The, everything about it. The whole, I'm looking for Yoda and... Yoda plays like he's not Yoda for a little bit and he eats his food and he gets all angry and him running around with Yoda on his back. 
fighting in the tree, even though it's like almost surreal the way the whole thing goes down. Uh, the conversation beforehand, and like Darren said, he brings violence in with him, so like it's almost like he's carrying the dark side with him. And then the whole lifting of his X-wing and him abandoning his training so he can be with his friends, like that whole thing is what makes Luke Skywalker who Luke Skywalker is. And I think it's just so important to, I guess we're calling it this now, the the Skywalker saga. Um, it, it's such a it's such a big thing. And I like to I call mean, it Star Wars. That's okay, me. buddy. It's just you. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it is it's it, it's such a it's such an iconic thing. I remember uh, as a kid, they uh, they made um, these aren't like your really cool ones, Darren, that you have, but these little like play sets. Um, I think uh, Micro Machine made them, and I, I had the Dagobah set where you had Yoda hiding in his little uh, treehouse, and there was a little switch for the X-wing that was sitting in the swamp that you could flick up and it would lift out. And were the action figures and- like this big? Oh, dude, they were the smallest things. Uh, I had a bunch of them. CJ loves those things. I've been yeah. finding them. Like, I guess I collected them along the way, or they were probably mm-hmm. given to me. <clears throat> They're called um, Micro Machines Action Fleet. And I found a yeah. bunch of them, and, I, and CJ loves them so much. Um, it, I found it, the Rancor set for them. <laughs> he loves yeah, that it, thing. It, it came out. It came out at the same time as uh, Polly Pocket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, like, it was uh, the Polly Pocket for Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's kind of I, I, when I think Empire. Like that is the first thing that comes to my mind. I think that's probably the scene I saw the most as a kid too. Uh, I feel like my parents kind of dodged around the whole Wampa stuff because it's kind of creepy. Oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> CJ's gonna love it. <laughs> oh well, uh, and. And just like the idea that there's a Muppet there, but he's not a Muppet. He's Yoda. And it's just such a, it's such a cool, and I mean, like I said, I just watched it recently and uh, I, I agree with you. Mark Hamill's acting is far better in the Swamp Planet than it is when he's fighting his father. Oh, he's selling his butt off in that. Uh, Isn't he? For real, though. It's it's very. He's the only human actor there. Yes, it's very good. It is. And I, I think that speaks levels for it. And it's just, it's such a good moment. And I mean, stepping back real quickly, even outside of like looking at our top five here, like thinking about that film and thinking about the fact that we got multiple planets and these different storylines that were actually cohesive, that you could actually run with one of the storylines and just kind of talk about this is what happened with Luke and you could tell a whole story. This is what happened with leia this swam with han and the beauty of that and i think that's why we all love this film so much and i mean i think that is like the apex of luke's story is that whole yoda training scene on dagobah and why it's so important and why it is my number one and why it why it just it draws me in every single time you know it's funny among the best training sequences in movie history and in fact years later in Batman Begins, you can kind of see beats of that between Ra's al Ghul and Bruce Wayne when they're training mm-hmm. in the Himalayas. Um, and the, those, the Micro Machines action fleet, I, I, I love, my son runs around with the Benenium Falcon and he loves Obi Compi Nobi. I mean, I, I, I'm not even going to correct it. I love it so much. Obi Compi Nobi. Um, he loves Obi Compi yeah. Nobi. Um, so, okay, so, I, I, I mean, 
you know, it's so funny. We always do these lists, and I think a lot of times we end up prefacing. If you ask me on a different day, I might give you a different answer. Um, So, I mean, easily my number one could be um, Yoda training Luke. It could be Luke. I mean, Luke's battling Vader didn't even make my list, and that could be easily number one. You know what, though? I will say that I bet on most days my number one would be the Battle of Hoth. Um, It's so good. It is, to me, in the original trilogy, you think about how in 1977 I did see Star Wars in the theaters, and I still remember it, and that, when you look at the assault on the Death Star, to this day it still looks great, and then you lead off, virtually lead off your next movie, somehow what you use surpasses that because here again the empire comes in and pounds the rebellion and it gave you a sense like okay the rebels destroyed your death star but the empire is far from crippled um now you know what's funny about the adats if you think about those things practically they make no sense whatsoever as a transport machine but no, it, um, they look so cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and the way they move, and, and, you know, and it's so funny, they give you the narrative explanation, like when they go in there and it looks like that armor is too strong for blasters. Like, yeah, we got problems, guys. And and I love, and you're right about that. You know, just the scene uh, with the, you know, the, the improvisation of like, okay, let's tie up their legs. Like, uh, at what point does the Empire go, oh, hadn't thought of that. Well, then. Let's go. Like, who thought, who thought giant metal camels was a good idea? Right? <laughs> um, and I was actually somewhat offended in The Last Jedi when they ended up looking like gorillas. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Why mess with perfection? And by the way, how did you not learn those things don't work? I mean, you got like, oh, well, we can't shoot it down, so let's just trip them. Oh, really? <laughs> and you you just went ahead with it anyway. That's the that's probably why the Empire got beat twice. Is because they just like they're so obstinate. They're like the kid who walks tries to walk through a wall, doesn't make it, and and and, and his and his his next motion is to just try walk through it harder. Um, but uh, that whole battle, it's like there's again there's a sense of dread. Um, there's a moment where. I mean, Luke. You, you get to see a scene of Luke. Luke starting to figure things out too when he goes up there and he you know, tosses a grenade into the uh, after slicing open the bottom of another thing. Tosses a grenade and takes one out himself. So they're like, okay, Luke is starting to become what we need Luke to become. But then he has to get out of there, and uh, you know, basically people barely escaping. And there's even a really cool moment where Luke just gets back, trying to um, you know, you know, rendezvous with his friends to see the Millennium Falcon take off. So he just missed him, you know, and that's kind of like, oh, how would you feel if you just saw your friends like taking off without you because they had no choice? Um, and, you know, the whole, it's just like when the snow speeders are heading towards those ADATs, it just looks like they're so small and you know they're going to lose and they're and you, you get a sense the only thing they're doing is just trying to slow things down. Such a great scene. Matt? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I tried to think about it. I essentially did uh, the list before I watched the rewatched the movie. And I was trying to think of it, you know, and a couple of things that I put on my initial list still maintained there, some of the things that I mentioned already. Uh, and a couple of them were bumped off by some things that I had completely forgotten about. But the one scene that I will always, always, always remember 
is the carbonite sequence. And that is from the deal that Lando strikes with Darth Vader moving forward all the way up to the point where, you know, uh, Boba Fett is wheeling Han Solo out there. But it, of course, includes arguably the most recognized line from, you know, I don't want to say arguably because we talked about the Luke being, or Darth Vader being Luke's father, but I think the, the I love you, I know sequence is <laughs> things that I just... I don't know. I have a hard time not just thinking about that scene specifically whenever somebody mentions The Empire Strikes Back. It's that scene, it's the Battle of Hoth, and it's Dagobah. And those are the three things that I always have in my mind. Um, and so I'm going to go with the carbonized sequence. Uh, I just loved it. I can rewatch that scene. I can rewatch every part of that scene. Uh, I can rewatch, you know, Chewbacca getting upset. There's just everything about it is so, so good. And then um, right at the very, very end when Darth Vader changes the deal with Lando and he says that uh, they're going to be loading Chewbacca and Leia up on the ship with him, you know, just the way that he confronts Lando Calrissian, there's just, he is at his absolute apex in this series. And and I that 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 scene really drives home the evil nature of this individual. And I just, I, I, I liked it for everything that it was, but also everything that it alluded to. It's just, it is my favorite scene of the entire, the entire film might actually be one of my favorite scenes from the entire original trilogy. It's so, so great, you know, and it, yeah. it's for someone who is married to an extraordinarily beautiful woman, beauty that time <laughs> she'll never see again. I don't know if she's like, she's like 10 feet. She's, she's in the room. Yeah, isn't she? She's in the room. Yeah. Oh, she's not listening. Like uh, someone whose whose beauty transcends time and space, whether it be a Whoa. galaxy far, far away, or if I if she ever told me I love you, and I just looked at her and said I know, I, she's probably not gonna talk to me for a while. So that's right. like Han just being like, "Listen, girl, uh, yeah, I probably have feelings for you. You may have noticed I got a bit of a problem." here. <laughs> I, I, such a, he's such a jerk. But it is like, and the other thing they do really well with that scene, which you were referencing, um, the audience gets a sense that Lando's really backed up against it, and he's probably actually working to try and do everything he can to get these guys out of the situation. But you also see that no one, like Han and Chewie and Leia and Three Peel, they can't see that. So you know, mm-hmm. it's, it gives you a sense of like, you know, Lando's a scoundrel, and you know he's. Oh yeah. You know he's probably you know, but he also knew he's got honor to him too, and he's he's really is trying to work towards getting him out of this, but it ain't working. Mm-hmm. Oh man, what a good film! What an absolutely oh. good film. Yeah. There's a reason that we still talk Star Wars, and I mean, after all the suffrage, that is why, right there. Suffrage. Hey, there's a lot to of the, uh, disappointments of the past. We don't talk about it. Um, we watch it every once in a while when we are feeling bad about ourselves, though. But, uh, all right. So, regardless, between these movies, there are gaps, right? Uh, a lot of stuff that isn't filled in. And so, Darren and I decided that this this month we would, we would attempt a retroactive review of Star Wars Shadow of the Empire, which was a Dark Horse comic from 1996. Now, Darren, is this still considered canon by any stretch of the imagination? No. And, um, uh, Matt, did you get a chance to check this thing out? I did not. No, okay, no, so I'm sorry. I have a feeling Phil's probably not going to give it the highest rating we've had. But, okay, so, but there's some particulars we need to dive into. No, Phil, to answer your question, I don't believe, I believe this is no longer considered canon. That's I think what I thought. famously, um, 
when Disney bought Star Wars back in 2015, four, 13 or something like that. No, the movie comes out. Uh, Force Awakens is 15. Um, they basically said everything except the six movies is not considered canon. But I've always mm-hmm. kind of said, like, you know, why do you... Disney says it's not canon. What, all of a sudden I can't access these things? It's No. All right, so it, canon's whatever it is you want it to be. But um, so when we did our uh, little mini special for the Star Wars uh, 40th anniversary, um, I did uh, a retroactive review of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was the first attempt at following Star Wars. It was intended to be the sequel for Star Wars because at the time, George Lucas wasn't certain that he would get a chance to make the sequel. So he wanted a quick end to it and he ended up having someone write a script that would have been turned into a TV movie if he was unable to make the sequel and it ended up being the novel which turned into a comic book it's another one of those Star Wars comics I do not recommend there are so and many a of them out there. Uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye was not a video game from, my, from what I oh, understand oh sorry this no, one was no, no, but no, we're talking about Shadows in the Empire yeah. an original Star Wars novel by Steve Perry not that Steve Perry um <laughs> Prior to the novel's release in 1996, Star Wars had just exited the most quiet period in the mythology's existence. Return of the Jedi is released in 1983, and it is a slow three-year wind-down for Star Wars after that, the last gasp being the final issue of Star Wars for Marvel in 1986. For more on Marvel's original Star Wars run, see our three Star Wars specials. In fact... Let me save you the trouble. If you are interested in those Star Wars comics, you've come to the right place. I did three very comprehensive retroactive reviews, one of which Matt sat through, um, two of which Phil sat through, um, uh-huh. and uh, of the entire run of this Marvel line. I'm confident enough to say that you're better off just listening to those editions of the panel scanners rather than reading the comics, and it's why I tossed the story part of this review in Phil's directions, I just have to tap out on Star Wars comics at this point. Um, at any rate, Star Wars had experienced a small revival in the early 1990s with the release of Timothy Zahn's series of novels, The Heir to the Empire Trilogy, now more commonly known, I think, as the Thrawn Trilogy. Yes. The Thrawn Trilogy mm-hmm. was, at the time, presented as the official Lucasfilm commissioned episodes 7, 8, and 9. Obviously, those are no longer canon since we got the 789. Right up until the announcement of Disney's purchase and a new trilogy of films, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command were officially the final three chapters of the Star Wars saga, or what we have come to recently know as the Skywalker saga. So, Matt, you said that you... How far along did you get? Did you read all three? Have you started reading those? Yeah, I just started reading them now, but I'm... Wildly invested in Thrawn, though I think find him fascinating. Yeah, no, he's clearly the breakout expanded universe character. Oh. I think. Well, we talked about canon in the lead up to this too, and we were talking about that. That was I thought it was really nice that they actually included that character in the Rebels TV show to actually make that character now canon, which I thought was a nice for a little yeah. retroactive way. To the heir to the Empire throne. So how f- somebody can watch those? Say yeah. that again. I need to watch Rebels and I love Clone Wars. I didn't, I didn't even get through uh, uh, maybe the first season I got through. I, I it's, it's, To me, I still the most like original Star Wars that uh, of anything I've seen um, 
you know, on, on, on a TV screen or movie screen. Now, uh, Matt, how far along are you? Are you still in the first book? Yeah, still first book. Yep. Um, how, what do you think so far? Oh, I liked it. Um, it's kind of unfortunate because I had attempted to read it a little while back, and then I, you know, just, I can't ever really pick up a book where I left off. I, I remember everything, but I still like to kind of brush up a little bit. So I unfortunately started off at page one again, and I've read through where I was at before and then extended it by a couple more chapters. But okay. I'll uh, finish it in the very near future. Um, yep. I'll be really – Phil, have you read these? I read – man, I, I know I read the first book at least a very, very, very long time. I'm talking like high school. Okay. I, You know what's funny? I don't know what we would do. How we would do it? I know. I know. Tim's read them. Um, I, I, you know. Okay. So now, because we technically have *Heir to the Empire*, *Dark Force Rising*, *Last Command*, were at one point officially labeled by Lucasfilm as seven, eight, and nine. Then we had *The Force Awakens*, *The Last Jedi*, and *Rise of Skywalker*. Now seven, eight, nine. I'd be interested to see which ones we prefer, uh, because I think there's room there. Um, it'd be, it, it's an interesting discussion. I don't know how it would happen. I don't know when it would happen, but it's something to keep in the back of our heads. Um, now I did a retroactive review of dark horse comics adaptation, uh, for the heir to the empire trilogy way back in the panel scanners episode nine. Um, wow. and by the way, that was before the Disney purchase of star Wars was even announced. Uh, Phil, I would say that the Disney purchase of Star Wars has got to be one of the biggest stories we've covered on this podcast, wouldn't you think? Yeah, that was that was really big. So anyway, uh, just like Splinter of the Mind's Eye was intended to complete the Star Wars saga and then acted as a bridge between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, um, Shadows of the Empire bridges the gap between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Right away, what's the big problem with Shadows of the Empire? What do you guys Everything. think? Everything. All right, well, who's missing? Well, Han's not in exactly. it. Exactly. And Han Solo, you know, as you realize, especially I think it was one of the things most evident that was missing from the prequel trilogy is you needed that character who didn't care about your silly force, you know, who was going to do what he's going to do anyway, and he's going to still get it done. But, okay, so hey. right away you know there's no Han Solo, so, you know, and then they kind of create this character to fill in that gap, which I found was weird. Uh, because you you had Lando already, and people liked Lando, but, and then they, the character's Lando's name was Dash. I know he's in it, but you created oh, Dash Rendar, Dash Rendar, which is like, you know, it feels like it's a name of an Arnold Schwarzenegger character from an '80s action film, and he's like totally buff too. Like, you I mean you see him in the comics, and like he had his own action figure, he was jacked up to the gills. I don't know, he's like, buff solo. I always wondered what that expression means, jacked to the gills. Like, can you work out so much that you just form gills? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can. Um, so, but the, the the interesting thing about this is it it is um, before the announcement of the special editions. It's before um, and the, the prequels. Um, so it bridges the gap between Star Wars and or Empire Strikes Back: Return of the Jedi. And it's and then this thing, it's a it's a multimedia initiative. It's everything but a movie. Okay, a popular video game accompanied it with the N sixty four, 
Kenner had relaunched the Star Wars action figure line, and the Shadows characters made their way into the line as well as vehicles into the mega-popular Micro Machines line. Lucasfilm even contacted Emmy Award-winning composer Joe McNeely to produce a score for the book. So there's even an album and a score for the book, um, for the movie, um, or for the book. So this was about as big a presence as um, Star Wars had since Return of the Jedi. It could have partly been done to test the waters for the Star Wars Special Edition to see if that that interest was still there. Um, but then you know, and the, and the special editions which were releases that were done just to test the waters um, for the prequels. But you know, back when we did about uh, about a year or so ago, we did. Um, we did a little bit of retro retrospective of the release of The Phantom Menace. And I said the build-up to The Phantom Menace was the best time to be a Star Wars fan. And it kind of began, like, Shadows of the Empire was the thing that sort of be- jump-started Star Wars again. Um, and that was, uh, we did that back uh, in the Panel Scanners 91 a year ago when I, I chronicled the um, the the build-up for Star Wars Episode One, But, so that's that's where we are in the technical aspect. It's notable, it's different from any other Marvel or Dark Horse storyline because it was a novel, it was a video game, it was toys, and it was it was literally everything but a movie. And it was the only thing like it at the time. It was, at some point for Star Wars fans, this was the most you got. But, was it successful, Phil? And with that, uh, so they called this the Shadows of the Empire Multimedia Campaign. So as Darren said, there was a novel, there was a video game, there was a soundtrack, uh, and this comic book. So the video game followed Dash Rendar's uh, story during it. Uh, The book followed more the exploits of Leia, Lando, and the villain Guri, uh, while the comic followed more than anything the exploits of Boba Fett now the comic itself it's interesting if not it's not good but um overall I can I can run through the the main breakdown of the thing um so obviously this takes place directly after Empire Strikes back uh leia knows there's something up with luke luke is acting weird after his encounter with vader and he's learning how to use his new robo hand um both the rebels and the empire are are working with this uh guy named this crime lord from black sun does anybody else remember black sun it's like a criminal uh underhanded Shipping. No, it's Prince Shizor. Yeah, Zizor, Shizor, whatever you want to call him. Um, so Guri uh, is is doing his own thing, and Shizor, Zizor, explains that he actually wants to kill Luke to improve his whole prestige or the way that the Emperor sees him. Um, while also discrediting Vader so that he can kind of be the Emperor's right-hand man. Uh, During all this time, Boba Fett is on his way trying to get Han Solo to Tatooine by uh, fighting his way through a lot of um, different bounty hunters. Now, 
the whole thing with Boba Fett, I can sum up Boba Fett's storyline with he keeps getting ambushed by other bounty hunters. He's better than these bounty hunters. He wrecks these bounty hunters, but does not seem to really kill many of them, tricks them, and gets Han Solo to Vader. Not Vader, rather Jabba the Hutt. Um, no surprise there. We know that Jabba ends up getting to uh, Han ends up getting to Jabba regardless. Uh, during all this stuff, uh, Vader sends a guy named Jix to uh, Jabba the Hutt's palace to kind of spy on him to see what's going on. He finds out that um, there's somebody else that puts a bounty out on Luke's head because Vader has put out a bounty on Luke's head to bring him back alive to kind of turn him to the dark side. Uh, ends up Prince Shizor, Zizor, whatever you want to call him, um, has sent out a bounty to kill Luke. Uh, so of course there's back and forth as to what needs to go on and Vader is all angry the whole time. Uh, on Tatooine, once Boba Fett finally gets there, uh, this guy named Big Giz, which is very close to a word that we should probably not talk about, uh, Jix and Big Giz, they have this whole thing with these swooper bikes racing through trying to stop people from <sighs> let's start this over so Jix is there to stop people from killing luke because vader doesn't want luke dead right so Jix is there to stop them but he joins this other group of people that are trying to kill him and he's the only one trying to stop them during this whole time boba fett is trying to land on the planet and they start trying to intercept boba fett it's all a cluster of everything that's going on while prince Zizor, Zizor suggests to the Emperor that the Boffin spies that have the plans to the Death Star, which are on their way to the Rebels, um, if he allows the Rebels to get through and get the plans, then they'll be able to control the Rebels, which, by the way, makes no sense whatsoever. The Emperor agrees, lets this go down, and this is how the Rebels actually get the plans to the Death Star for Jedi. During this time, Princess Leia is on Coruscant with Shizor trying to talk him into being a part of the Rebellion because having the Black Sun as part of the Rebellion would be a good thing because whatever, illegal exploits or whatever. Um, he has some sort of weird ability to make people instantly lust after him as soon as they see them. Tries to uh, hook up with Leia. Leia like makes out with him. Chewie stops it. She's like, I don't know what's wrong. I love Han. And then she figures out that it's wrong. This tries to stop this dude. They finally end up escaping after Luke, after escaping Tatooine from not getting killed, because we knew that wasn't going to happen anyway, uh, runs into his sister dressed up as the bounty hunter that she's going to be dressed up as to go into Bob, uh, Jabba the Hutt's palace during Jedi uh, and finally escapes. On their way out, they're getting chased by Shizor's, uh people, um, Vader shows up because he's all angry at this dude and ends up destroying him and letting Luke, Leia, Lando, and Chewie go to get to Tatooine to save Han. It is a cluster. It is not great. The book is way better. I feel like I just said a bunch of words that made no sense. <laughs> when did you read the book, Phil? When was the last time I you read it? The, the book book, um, 10 years ago. Okay. It may not be good either. I, I'm not sure. 
Um, I finished this last night. This was, this should have been, it was almost like a cautionary tale insofar as I remember, you know, buying into this thing way early because uh, you knew it was coming. You knew, here comes the book, here comes the score, here comes the toys, here comes the video game, here comes the the comics. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a big deal. And I remember being disappointed by all of it. And I'm like, should have set us up, man. We should have knew it was coming after that. Um, and and the thing that sucks is, like, even talking about it, like, I obviously omitted a lot. It's six issues. There are actually a couple other books that follow it. Um, Dash Rendar is in it briefly, but, like, even his appearance is very – it almost seems forced. Yeah, because like, like, the video game was his major part of the story because the yeah. – vi- yeah, it's – Man. Literally, there's a point that like Luke is getting to Coruscant, and he's going there on his own. And then in the next issue, Dash Rendar is just with him. Like he just showed up. Like, what up? I'm Dash Rendar, and I'm part of this party. Yeah, you're only here because someone else couldn't be here, man. Be quiet. Kind of like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's rough. I would say, if you really need more Star Wars in your life, it's not. It's you, not. You can find it elsewhere. Well. <laughs> Like, it, it's readable. There are moments that I was like, okay. Like, it was kind of cool to see Luke uh, learning how to use, like, the lightsaber a little bit better. He got a little bit better. Like, Luke's storyline during it was quite cool of him kind of getting used to the robotic hand and him learning a little bit more about the Force. And he actually uses the Jedi mind trick on a couple people to get out of, like, being locked up. Like, there are moments of it that are quite cool. I imagine... It's just all- for if you were Star Wars starved, which back then you very likely were, this is probably yeah. a welcome arrival. But in the you know the pantheon of everything that we've seen since, I mean, it just sort of like there's this massive scrap heap of disappointing Star Wars that just keeps mounting now, and that's that. It, I would think that you know Shadows of the Empire is on it. I'll say this, man. Uh, going forward, I won't um, give you any spoilers. None of the Air- Thrawn trilogy is on that pile. I mean, I would consider okay. the the Thrawn trilogy probably near the top of the expanded universe. I remember very much liking it. I I can't remember much about it other than like there are twins that Leia at some point has. I that's all I remember from it. Yeah, she's just pregnant right now. So yeah, yeah. I'll get you the once you guys are when you're done with it, man. I'll get you the comics for it. The first, like, right. the Heir to the Empire uh, comic is awesome. The other two are pretty good, but the Heir to the Empire comic is just terrific front to back. However, Shadows of the Empire, not so much. There's enough out there. And, I mean, I've said it before. I think there's more bad Star Wars out there than good. Oh, for sure. I mean... And, I mean, this is this is one of those things that is, is floating over that pile of the bad. Um... There, like I said, there is good in there. There is. Um, enough so that after I finish the six issues, uh, I have the omnibus for it. Um, I considered jumping into the next series just because. Why not? But I also have the Marvel Star Wars run, um, the older one, that I think I'd rather read. I think it's a little bit better. So, Matt, um, given that, this thing, the, the thing is with Shadows of the Empire, it's a footnote in Star Wars history, given the amount of force that was put behind it, pun intended, with, you know, the rollout of everything. And it was supposed to be, 
um, you, you know, the next big chapter. Or, you know, like I said in our previous podcast, most of Star Wars has been overmined at this point, even the smallest detail. Like, you know, all the Dark Horse characters and all the, you know, or the comics, you know, would explore the most minute character, right? And so, you know, like, you got to fill in the gap between the movies. And so that stuff's all been overmined at this point. But, like, I'm interested to see what do you guys want, and I'll start with you, Matt, out of Star Wars going forward. Now, first of all, I've said this in the podcast a couple of times. They say the Sky the Skywalker saga is over. By the way, this is the third time they've told us it's over, okay? So forgive me if I'm a little, you know, like, okay, sure, it's over. You told me that at the end of the first trilogy. Then you told me again after the uh, prequel trilogy. And now you're telling me again it's all over. So I'm not convinced. But, well, I mean, what are, you, what are you looking for going forward out of Star Wars, man? Um, I think what I would like to see, and this, was, uh, I, this is not entirely rich. But I think what I would like to see, venturing off into characters we have no idea about. I don't want any connection to anything that we already have going on right now. What I would like to do is come up with characters who have no blood relation to the Skywalkers or the Palpatines or anything like that. I have a developed sense of the Force. I don't need it to be um, hereditary. I just want it to be based on ability or perhaps uh, judgment all on the on the nature of that person you know are they going to be a good person they're going to use the force for good uh something like that that's where i really would like to see so i kind of want to go there in that direction and i i don't know it'd be kind of interesting to see somebody who's maybe humanoid but i I don't necessarily need it to be a a male or female you know what i mean like i don't need it to be a human male or human female necessarily to identify with it'd be kind of interesting um but in all honesty i just want to see more worlds developed because I don't know. That's just one of the things that we were discussing prior to in the Empire Strikes Back is just the ability to develop a world and the ability. I just want to see new cool places. Um, I really thought Rogue One nailed the, the the ability to develop a planet and really explore that planet. And I thought they did that multiple times throughout that film. And I thought that that really harkened back to the um, the initial series, uh, the initial trilogy. And I don't know. I would love to see again just amazing worlds being built that I can't even imagine right now. So that's what I'm most excited for. Phil? Um, I'm going to piggyback off that because I think the same thing. Like, there's a lot of space out there. I don't know why we keep getting the same stuff. That was one of my big griefs about uh, Mandalorian because I think Mandalorian did a very good job of kind of showing some different stuff that could be out there. There was still light connections to what we already knew, but it was standalone until... They got to uh, Tatooine. Like, it didn't seem necessary to go to that planet. There are a lot of planets that I'm assuming are inhabited out there. Um, so I, I agree. I think that, and that's what kind of, I think also scares me about the idea of it being like a Republic film set coming. I, I think there's still going to be ties to what we already know, uh, regardless of how me- how close those ties are. And the fact that Yoda is going to be part of it is, is also tying us in. I, I would. I, I think that the idea of a brand new story with no connections of some new gruff person finding their place in the galaxy would be really cool. Uh, stop leaning on the whole idea that Luke and Leia are the, like basically the leaders of the rebellion, right? Like the rebellions happened. The, the empires happened more than once at this point. Let, let's get past it. Let's leave the Republic alone. The Republic is long gone. 
Let, let's find a new place in the galaxy. How about we go somewhere outside of the whole political thing? There has to be some podunk planet out there, right? Maybe even a planet mm-hmm. that doesn't know as much about like space travel and that it's very limited. Careful, um, you'll just end up back on Tatooine. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'm, I, I think even exploring more into like uh, I just recently saw Solo for the first time that uh, the planet that uh, Han Solo starts out on when like he gets checked in and he says his name is Han. Are you by yourself? Yeah, Solo. So Han Solo, like the name he's given, like that kind of planet where there's all this like bad stuff going on and sure. not necessarily tied to the Empire. Like I think that'd be a very cool story. Let's let's lean on that. Let's not lean on the tried and true or even the idea of the tried and true like we did with the prequels. Like I, I I don't know I think there's a lot out there and and they're leaving a lot to be desired. I think that's so, why I'm somewhat looking forward to the uh, beginning of this High Republic initiative. Um, you know, and I agree with you guys. Like, how do we keep ending up on Tatooine? And even when we don't, we end up on Jakku, which is Tatooine. Um, yeah. So yeah. you're right. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm looking for the same thing you guys are. I, I think I really have always just just love the aesthetic of the star wars universe that broken down use everything is, is something i've always just i think i've gravitated toward towards um so i'm looking for the same thing some new stories um i it's funny i don't know where i am with it i think that i i was very enthusiastic about rise of skywalker when i saw it and i it did something i didn't think was possible it was sort of you know, fixed Star Wars, but I also think that a lot. My son has a lot to do with that now that he's getting into Star Wars. I'm seeing it through his eyes, and it's a lot of fun again. So, you know, Rise of Skywalker probably had less to do with my Star Wars revival than I think, um, but I definitely still want it. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to. I think. I think Matt, you really, you you, uh, you focalized it, which is like okay. Let's get away from these characters. Let's get away from everything else. I like this whole High Republic idea. I like the fact that we're going to see the Jedi at their power. And I like the fact that if you go and watch that video, um, the trailer that they have on Star Wars, Star Wars' YouTube channel, a lot of the writers were saying, what are the Jedi afraid of? And that's what we're going to. And they created this, this, this race of villains that are not Sith. I assume that at some point we'll get Sith. And I... You, you want it at some point, right? You want a lightsaber duel. I mean, that's a hallmark of Star Wars at this point. It's one of the things I loved about Solo was there's not a, like right at the end of Solo, Darth Maul ignites a lightsaber, and it's like they couldn't help it. Like they almost got through a whole movie without even seeing a lightsaber, and then right at the end, bam! We're like, see, they couldn't stop themselves. Um, all right, so yeah, man, this is a lot of fun. I, I had a great time talking about the Empire Strikes Back. It's such a, you could we could do three or four episodes on the Empire Strikes Back and not go through like everything that's so cool about that movie. Phil, why don't you take us home? Yeah, uh, I do have one last comment though that I am All concerned right. about the High Republic. I'm scared that because I haven't watched Clone Wars yet that they're going to tie into Clone Wars a lot because there are a lot of Jedi in that. Regardless. Um, so they do say it's 200 years before the Phantom Menace. So I don't know. Hopefully they won't. Um, of, yeah, but I see. I get why you're saying that. Yeah, regardless. It Matt, matters not. Matt, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I was, yes, I was, I was so happy you. to have you on tonight. And I'm, I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, we're hoping to be able to get out to free comic book day later this summer. Um, and uh, if we do, I hope you can make it. Oh, thank you very much. I always appreciate the invite, and thank you very much again for the opportunity.
No, it's good to have you, man. Uh, so regardless, uh, next month, uh, man, it's kind of open still. Yeah, we, we don't know what our... we're doing. Uh... Yeah, we need to see if our essential boy is back or not, or if we need another guest, or, and we'll kind of go from there. Uh, regardless, if you are home, please stay home, stay safe, stay out of this. Uh, there are lots of opportunities to have a good time while you are not out in the world, so this is the time to get caught up on things like we talked about a little earlier this month regardless until then if you are not please make sure you get caught up on your comics enjoy your reading